Meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. This is Follow the Leaders on KCLR, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. You're very welcome along to Follow the Leaders on KCLR, where each week we hear from the people who are leading the way, making the changes necessary to meet the challenges posed by climate change and are working to reduce their carbon footprint. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'm joined by Robbie Dowling, my co-presenter, and we'll both be with you until seven o'clock this evening. Robbie, you're very welcome. Thanks, Deirdre. Our first programme on food and waste this evening. Robbie, what's coming up on the programme? Yeah, so later on this evening we'll be hearing from local environmental activist Molly Aylesbury who chats about the pitfalls of food waste. But first I caught up with Craig Benton who is a co-founder of the Stop Food Waste programme to chat about the programme and the benefits of composting among a whole host of other topics. I began by asking Craig to give me some detail on his own background. Well, I've been uh, working on composting for over 30 years, sort of. I came to Ireland 20 years ago to help start the composting industry here. So anything you're putting into your brown bin is, is going to a facility that I probably had some involvement in. And in 2009, I helped uh, the Clean Technology Center of Munster Technological University set up the Stop Food Waste Program and we ran a master composter training and community composting training program through that until 2020. Right now I'm working with schools in our composting for schools program. So we're helping a variety of schools with helping to improve recycling and reducing waste and setting up composting systems and wormeries at schools. So that's, that's a little bit about my background and I'm very happy to be here in Ireland. And you mentioned it there, the Stop Food Waste program. You're a co-founder of it. Again, could you give us a little bit of detail of what that is? The Stop Food Waste program, the purpose of the program is to encourage residents to prevent and reduce food waste because it's such a big problem in terms of our impact on, on, on the climate. If, if, if food waste was a country, it would be the third largest greenhouse emitter after China and America. So the we go through a, a program, which is our Stop Food Waste Challenge, where we help people become more aware of the food that they're wasting and why. And then we give tips and tricks about how to create a shopping list and planning your meals, how to shop better, how to store food better, how to prepare food so you are not wasting it, how to serve food, how to reuse food, how to preserve it so that we can throw less away in the bin. The main thing here really in Ireland is that if you go to the grocery store and purchase three to four bags of groceries, one of them ends up in the bin, costing the average Irish household around 800 euros per year. The second purpose of the program was to encourage home and community composting and that's where we had our master composter program and we did a lot of workshops to help people convert their garden and landscape materials and their food scraps into a rich compost that can be fed into their gardens and help them grow the flowers and veg and plants around their homes or in their community. And how has the Stop Food Waste program developed over the years? Has it kind of changed as it has gone on, or is it sort of the same common goal since its inception? Well, there's a, there's a, there are the common goals, which is really sort of to help prevent and reduce food waste. They're no longer sort of encouraging the, the composting side of things. So we've set up a, an organization at the Unster Technological University called Composting Ireland, 
And through that program, we're able to offer workshops, help people with composting. We have a variety of information and booklets, and uh, we can. We're, and, and the Composting Ireland is also the lead organization for a composting in schools program. But right now, the uh, the, the Stop Food Waste program is basically being taken over by another organization, and the emphasis is on raising awareness through website and social media activities. And why is food waste so critical when we're talk about tackling the climate crisis, Craig? It seems to be something that's been brought up a lot uh, in that regard. Well, food waste, if we, we look at it as a global perspective, one-third of all the food that's grown is wasted, okay? And this is why it's such a huge problem in terms of climate change, because we're using a third more land, third more energy, third more tractors and fuel, a third more fertilizers, uh, uh, all this. And it's like we're now cutting down the rainforest, which is a, it helps to sequester carbon in order to grow soybeans to feed to cattle, or we're growing palm oil. Uh, to go into uh, different processed foods, so we're first of all we're 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 cutting down um, these rich rainforests that are rich in biodiversity and also help us helps us pull carbon out of the atmosphere. But then when we put the food waste into our bins, they're either going to a landfill or a incinerator or a centralized composting facility or a uh, biodigester. Now, when we're using the brown bins, the food is being reused and recycled. But when we put the food into our black bins, that means it's going to a landfill or an incinerator where methane gas or nitrous oxides are generated, which is way more potent than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. And where do you feel we're at in terms of tackling this issue? Do you think obviously more needs to be done, but what do we need to do particularly? You mentioned raising awareness. What are the fundamentals now to move this forward? Um, Look, there's been, I think, good effort at the residential side uh, to try to make people more aware because it, it does hit the pocketbook, and especially during the times of high inflation and the rising food costs, I think people are becoming more aware that they can actually prevent food waste and save money and stretch their food budgets a little further. Where I think we need to sort of really sort of tackle the food waste, I think, is in the commercial sector. So restaurants, hotels, um, hospitals, schools, um, some of these, these the commercial and, uh, uh, operations and institutions that we can actually do a better job of, uh, again, becoming aware of what we're wasting, how to, how to plan and using the food better, shopping better, storing better, preparing uh, just enough and not over-preparing or over-serving food. I was actually had an opportunity to work with a small bed and breakfast out in Mayo, and we figured that uh, they were kind of looking at doing one of these little in-vessels twirly composters to make compost out of their food waste. But when we studied the whole thing, we found that basically they were over-serving the food, over-preparing and over-serving the food, which was costing them, this is a small business, 40,000 euros a year in extra food purchases and in actually then disposing of the food in brown bins. So this is an area, and if you think this is just one small bed and breakfast with sort of eight rooms and, and, a, and, a, and a pub, there's a lot of room 
for all the businesses around Ireland to do tighten up on uh, their food efficiency. And you've alluded to it a couple of times. I mean, 800 euros a year for families is wasted uh, when it comes to food waste. One in every four shopping bags goes to the bin. Is that the key thing, do you think, to, for businesses, for families, for people generally in every area that they need to know that they are wasting not just the food but also the vast amount of money that they're doing also? I think that's a, a big part of it, you know, and I think the people, when they start to think about it and they go through the Stop Food Waste Challenge, that they do realize that, wow, there's a lot of money being thrown away. And especially for businesses, any way they can become more efficient actually contributes to their bottom line. So in this case, being green is also a way to be more profitable so that you can save money or you can be more efficient with the food that you're using and serving. So. And when we talk about food waste generally, you mentioned maybe it's only behind um, uh, China and America in many ways, in some aspects. How critical is it when we're, when we're talking about the bigger picture of tackling this crisis to acknowledge the issues we have with food waste and to change them? And, and what time period do we need to do it in? Is this kind of an emergency now or do we need to set a long and medium term plan in place? What do you feel about that? Um, the climate crisis is an emergency and we need to look all up and down the food production to consumption chain to become more efficient with the food that we're growing. Uh, as we move into climate change, it's going to become more difficult to grow food because of the variable weather, the more extreme weather events, uh, flooding, drought. We're seeing a lot of hurricanes, tornadoes, it's and hail events, and this all affects food production. So I, my, my personal opinion is that really uh, we this is an urgent issue, and it is something that really will make a big difference in terms of uh, the emissions that are generated from agriculture through through the stores and 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 the consumers. So it's it, there's food waste happening at the production level, at the processing level, at the distribution level, at the grocery store and restaurant level, and also at home. So um, for me, we need to tackle this within the next uh, five to 10 years in terms of uh, making a difference. And I guess there is a European goal of cutting food waste in half, I think, by 2030. So we have a, a goal out there that's legislated by the European Union to help us along that path. Are there reasons to be positive? It sounds obviously like we have a lot of work to do. Do you feel as though there's been strides made already or where do you stand in that sense? I think actually Ireland is a leader in a program that's run by an organization called Food Cloud and they were started I think about 12, 13 years ago uh, by a couple graduate students at Trinity College and they figured out how to sort of create an app that allows businesses like grocery stores and restaurants to post food that is would be thrown away to link and connect them to charities that are serving the, the people with food poverty and pe- with people with needs. They've also now expanded in terms of providing sort of a food bank service, and they have hubs in Galway, I think Cork, and also in Dublin. So this is a great model. I mean, and the Irish are doing well here, but again, it could be expanded. But I think this is something that Ireland can be proud of 
it's a it's a nonprofit organization that's doing a really good job. And now there, I think there's 80 people on staff um, that are that are addressing this issue and problem. So they're they're, they're making some progress. And, and, and another example is sort of in France, where they're they have outlawed food waste from from grocery stores. So grocery stores need to basically sort of find ways of getting good food out to people who need it. So there, there's some movement here. There are some positive things that are going on. There is uh, some of the composting programs where we're collecting brown bins and generating energy or making compost out of it are all positive ways of recycling the nutrients and putting them back in the soil. So there are some good things. Uh, we just need to work harder to, to, to push this along a little faster. And I'm going to come on to composting very briefly because I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about that. But you mentioned there that uh, food waste in grocery stores was outlawed in France. Do you feel as though central governments, not just in Ireland, but across Europe and across the world, need to take more action? Does it need to come from local governments or does it just need to come from people individually and as kind of communities? How do you see that? I think that there's a role to play for everyone. So as consumers and as individuals and as individuals working for businesses, there's action we can all take. And this actually uh, make taking action on food waste reduction and prevention is the biggest way you can reduce your carbon footprint. So this is something that's more has more impact than say riding your bike or putting solar panels on the roof or using an electric car. So the, the, the decisions we make daily around our food habits is, it can contribute the most to our climate footprint, our carbon footprint. Now, there's also things that local authorities can do, but also more importantly, there's things that government can do to put the policies in place and provide grant funding for people to really sort of help to push this forward. So, for example, um, when I work with schools, now I'm being paid by the local authority in the Regional Waste Management Office in the Eastern Midlands region to go and help schools with looking at ways to reduce food waste and for them to be more efficient. Um, but this also can happen. I'm working with a, a program in County Leash as well where we're going into businesses in Port Arlington and helping them identify ways of reducing food waste. But there, I think this help needs to go to every canteen, every cafeteria, every restaurant, every hotel, every business that's selling food to help them sort of look at ways that they can reduce food waste because it's, it is a big problem. What is composting, Craig, to move it on? I suppose, uh, you know, it's a word that's used a lot, but for maybe listeners, including myself, that don't know what it is, could you explain to us what composting is and what it entails? Okay. Composting, in, in a big picture sense, is a important part of recycling nutrients and carbon. So we have plants that grow, let's say, for example, trees, and they then drop their leaves in the autumn, and then they fall to the ground, and then there's a group of organisms called decomposers that then convert that dead material and they help to decay it to recycle the nutrients and the carbon back into the soil. So, so really composting is sort of a, our civilization or our way of actually speeding up the natural process of decay to re-enrich re the soil so that we can stimulate plant growth. In essence, composting, I like to tell people, it's the farming of microbes. 
things we can't see like bacteria and fungi and mold and stimulating those organizations so uh, no those organisms i'm sorry to 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 do their job in helping break things down and making them available so Basically, composting is a foundation for healthy gardening because if we can make the soils more healthy, we can grow more productive gardens. So composting is very simple. Uh, it's like raising any other livestock, children, pets. It needs a balanced diet. It needs air and water. So it's, it's fairly simple, and it's an easy process to do at home and on the community base scale or large scale in these larger facilities. But it is very valuable because right now when we throw stuff out, we're robbing the soil of, of those nutrients that are, that, are, uh, that are in the things that we take off uh, the land, whether we're gardening or we're cutting the grass and, and, and collecting the clippings and throwing them away. Uh, this is all sort of removing all the goodness and composting is ways to return those nutrients to support healthy plant growth. So what I like to also say to people is biodiversity starts in the soil because there's an ecosystem in the soil that actually convert organic materials into nutrients that plants can easily absorb. Healthy soil grows healthy plants. Healthy plants stimulate pollinators and birds and critters. And so it's a foundation for us to increase biodiversity anywhere is by helping to improve the soil. In general terms, how important is composting when we talk about when we talk about it benefiting the environment? Especially when we're composting on site, then we don't have to spend all the energy and labor uh, and actually run these facilities, which use a lot of energy. Uh, we're able to save all that, and we are able to keep the benefit of those nutrients and everything on site and use the compost around our homes, our businesses, our schools, our parks. You know, there's, I've worked with Dublin City Council in terms of creating zero landscape waste parks. And so we're able to then reuse and recycle all the materials that are generated within that garden, that landscape, that park back into that landscape, garden, or park for the benefit of the soil and for the benefit of the plants that are growing in it. So it is really very important. And especially if we handle these materials on site, then we're really reducing the most uh, of our environmental impact. Of we, Then we don't have to ship it. We don't have to collect it. We don't have to transport it. It's not going to incinerators or landfills, where, which are creating harmful greenhouse gases. We're not we're reducing the amount of transport required, which spews you know exhaust in our neighborhoods and in our communities. So it is, I think, the on-site composting of materials and handling them closely to where they're generated is the most efficient and most environmentally friendly way to deal with it. And why is pea-free and nutrient-rich composting so important for growing? Okay. We in Britain and also in Ireland, we've been conditioned to think that compost is peat or peat is compost when it's not. Peat moss comes from a bog. It is basically a wet environment. It's, it's an anaerobic environment. It takes centuries to make peat, which they call compost, but it's not. But the big thing is, is that there's a big difference between peat-based compost, which is not compost, and the compost you can make at home. The, the peat is nutrientless. 
the compost has micronutrients and major plant nutrients such as nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. The peat is high in carbon, so when it's put into the soil, it takes nitrogen from the soil to break down. So therefore, you have to use chemical fertilizers in order to make uh, to balance out the peat in the soil. Now, when compost breaks down in the soil, it's higher in nitrogen, so it's actually giving nitrogen to the system and to the plants. The, the peat is lifeless, right, and whereas compost is full of soil organisms and bacteria, mold, and fungus, which is very important for the soil, and it helps to inoculate dead soils with the organisms that are needed to help convert organic matter into nutrients the plants can easily absorb. And so also the peat is acidic, and when we put something acidic in the soil, it binds up nutrients so that the plants can't absorb those nutrients that are in the soil. The, the compost you make is more pH neutral and helps to sort of release nutrients that the plants can absorb to grow and be healthy. So there is a big difference between a peat-based compost or what they call compost and real compost. And I'd encourage people that when they're going to their garden centers is to buy peat-free compost, which a lot of times are made here in Ireland and supports the businesses that are converting garden and landscape materials and food waste into a lovely soil amendment. And what has peat-based compost done to our boglands and peatlands in particular? Because from my reading up of it, it seems to have had a neg negative impact. Absolutely. Um, we have been mining our peat resources to generate electricity and to make these garden products that, that are exported. So we're, we're actually exporting our cultural and historical heritage as well as reducing the biodiversity that are dependent on our in our in our peat bogs and so by 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 reducing our demand of peat based compost we can preserve these ecosystems which are one of the best sequesters of carbon on earth as well as pre preserving the rich biodiversity of, of the species that depend on these peat habitats or these bog habit, habitats. So it is very important because there are lots of different critters, bugs, birds, mammals that are live in, in, these, peat, in these peat bogs. Uh, and so the more that we can preserve them, the more that we're going to conserve our, our uh, flora and fauna that are unique to Ireland. And what are the alternatives to peat-based composting and how important is composting when we talk about moving away from peat-based compost, I suppose? Well, there is, I mean, I think that there is a, a, lot of, a lot of opportunity for people to buy the right kind of products. Again, when you understand the difference between peat, quote, compost and real compost, you understand that peat actually puts you onto a chemical treadmill. Now, Antoshka has actually created a lovely booklet called Compost for Nature, which explains this in detail. And you can go onto the Antoshka website or just put Compost for Nature into your search engine, and you'll find the booklet, which you can download, which not only explains the difference between peat-based compost and real compost, but it also helps, gives all the basics of how to compost and has the frequently asked questions. It helps tell you how to set up a composter, um, and it, it gives you a good guidance on how to start composting at home. 
So these are the things that you can do to sort of make a difference. Again, to put less pressure on our peat heritage and also then to make a, a, a better product for your soil, for your garden. Uh, and, and you'll find that once you start making and using compost, you can't make enough because it's such a wonderful product for, for your garden. A little earlier on, you mentioned the compost in schools program. Could you explain to us what that is and how important do you feel is it to educate children and young people on these issues? It's absolutely critical because we need to reconnect our, our students, our children to nature to realize that it is something we depend on for our survival. Without plants, we can't breathe. Without worms, we won't eat and worms are nature's best composters and recyclers of nutrients. But in the Compost for Schools program, the goal is to help schools prevent and reduce waste, help them improve their recycling. We're gonna look at also how they can either use the brown bin or set up their own composting systems because a lot of the schools have school gardens and uh, polytunnels, uh, which they're helping schools learn, I mean, students on how to learn how to grow things, okay? And then we're also helping with basically their school garden program and increasing biodiversity uh, in their in their schools. So it's, those are the sort of the areas that we cover. But again, I, as I said earlier, it's, I think it's critical for young people of the next generation to understand how critical the preservation of our natural world is to our survival. And it is actually a, a way to sort of connect and feel grounded um, and get people off their devices and to sort of do something and that, that, that feels good uh, because, uh, again, our environment is so critical for us and we need to take action, uh, you know, uh, in terms of climate change and, and helping make our world a better place. I just have a few more questions, if that's okay, before I wrap up, Craig. The brown bean, you've mentioned it a couple of times. Again, could you explain to us what that is and why it's so important to use it in the correct circumstances? Okay, so as I said earlier, the, if you can compost at home, that is the best and most environmentally friendly way of dealing with materials you're, you're generating in your house or in your apartment. Now, apartments don't have access to brown bins yet, and a lot of businesses aren't taking up the brown bin either. But there are things that we cannot easily compost at home. So anything that comes from plants can be easily composted at home. Anything that comes from animals needs to go into the brown bin for recycling in large-scale commercial facilities because they get the, the heat needed to reduce pathogens and weed seeds and all the bad things that potentially are in uh, animal-based products such as meat and bones and, and different things like that. The brown bin is important because it is a way for us to compost things that are not easily composted. So, for example, invasive uh, weeds, bindweed, ivy, brambles, all these things are not easy to compost in a on-site system. And it, basically, if you put them in your compost, uh, it, basically you'll get that uh, out the other end and all you're doing is planting those noxious weeds back into your garden. So the brown bin has a role for, I think, for, for homeowners, for institutions, for businesses, okay, for schools. Um, all, these, all these organizations can use the brown bin uh, to recycle food, especially restaurants and hotels, um, hospitals. All could use brown bin because there's a lot of food waste, and instead of throwing it out 
uh, for it to go to an incinerator or a landfill. We can actually recycle it, create compost, or make gas out of it with a biodigester and, and put it to productive use. So there are generally, I think, about a million tons of, 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 of food and garden materials that are being sent for disposal or being wasted, and uh, uh, about 250 to 300,000 tons a year is from residents. Another 300 to 350,000 are from businesses and institutions, and then the rest of it is coming from the farming and processing sector. So there is an opportunity for us to, to use brown bins to divert these materials into a more productive use. And just to go the whole way back to the start of the interview, you mentioned Composting Ireland. What is that and what work do they do? Composting Ireland is the team of people that ran the Stop Food Waste program. So we have people all around the country. We have someone in Wexford, someone in Cork. We have a new person from Galway. We have someone in Tipperary. I, I handle the Dublin area. And then we have our team down in Cork. Uh, that's the headquarters at Monster Technological University. But the group is basically available. I mean, we do a lot of public education work, so we can do one-off workshops. We do extended training programs. Uh, again, I'm, I'm running a, a compost for schools for Bengal schools. Actually starts today for a five-week period, and then we go back to the schools and do site visits and help them figure out what to do and then support them along the way. Uh, we run community composting courses, and, and that's the, the, the program that uh, Kilkenny Leader Partnership is, is sponsoring for us to run this in May and June, and I can tell you more about that. But basically, Composting Ireland can take on sort of one-off hour workshops or half-day workshops or a whole composting course. Uh, we do soft food waste challenges and trainings, uh, so we're basically covering a lot of the public outreach and education through that organization. And very finally, Craig, I know you have some upcoming community workshops in the not-too-distant future. Uh, what are they, when are they on, and how can people come along? Okay, uh, basically we've got a community composting training opportunity for folks or community groups within County Kilkenny. And we're running three trainings. One is going to be in Thomastown, another is going to be in Freshford, and the third one's going to be in Pilltown. These workshops are going to run from middle May to the end of June. And uh, basically the course involves a first, uh, first evening in-person workshop uh, on an evening uh, starting at 7 o'clock and goes to 9.30. And then there's three follow-on workshops in the evening that are going to be online. Now, part of the training is also then going to be a half-day workshop, hands-on workshop, at the three sites in Thomastown, Freshford, and Pilltown, where people will help to build a compost demonstration site, learn how to make the compost, and, and then we'll go through how to use the compost, and so they get a full hands-on experience with making bins and making compost. So um, when we do our workshops, they're People's learning styles is learning by reading, learning by listening, and learning by doing. So in our workshops, we make sure we hit those three learning styles. So we, that's why we offer a hands-on workshop as a part of the overall training. Now, if people want to sign up for the course, they can go to the Kilkenny Leadership Partner, uh, Leader Partnership Program website. It's cklp.ie 
you just scroll down and find the community composting um, little section there, click on it, and then there's an explanation of the program, and there's a link then to sign up. Now, what we're looking for are community groups like Tidy Town Groups or any community associations or community organizations that will actually bring a group of volunteers, so three to six volunteers from each group, all right, and they will sign up and do the training. Now, the good news here, folks, is that there's funding available from Kilkenny County Council to help set up follow-on projects. So if your tidy town goes through the training, then there's going to be money available to help you set up a community composting system for your community. Now, let's be clear. This system is not to accept waste from residents. It's to actually take care of the landscape and garden materials that are generated by Tidy Town volunteers and maintaining the common areas within your village or town. Okay, so it's a basically to help the Tidy Town groups and other organizations that are involved with different communities and villages to actually recycle their uh, garden and landscape materials so they can put them back into the potted plants, into the, the planting areas so that you can grow beautiful flowers and, and make your town lovely, tidy, and beautiful. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. Welcome back. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. I'm Deirdre Drummy, and I'm also joined by Robbie Dowling. Yeah, you are. And next up, we have an interview with Carlo environmental activist Molly Aylesbury. She's well-educated on the topic, and we discussed a number of things, including the best ways in which people can reduce their food waste. First question, I suppose, is could you give us a bit of background as to what it is that you actually do? Um, this is the elevator. I'm a professional hippie, is what I like to say. So I work in environmental education and wildflower seed production. And then in my spare time, my free time, I like work as an environmental act- activist. That's what I do in my fun time. And how would you describe an environmental activist, I suppose? It's, it's a phrase we hear a lot, but what does that actually entail? Being no fun at parties <laughs> is the pretty much some of it. Um, we... Um, you, ju- you just spend a lot of time going around. So for me personally, what it involves is I'm an environmental rep for Carlo PPN. So I sit on a few different committees around Carlo and um, we work on policy. I'm the chair of the environmental network in Carlo. So we work around educating people in Carlo around environmental issues and kind of empowering them to do things about it. And then I work in a, I volunteer then with the community garden as well. So. And how did you initially become interested in this topic? Um, I suppose I come from a dairy farming background and that doesn't sound like the good basis of an, <laughs> a, a, an environmentalist but um, my actually my grandfather was very instrumental uh, one of my like earliest memories of an action of environmental environment of environmentalism was my granddad standing in front of a tractor one of the council tractors that was cutting the hedges and absolutely ate in the face off them for cutting out of season at the time this was before the legislations and things like this and like really taking a stand for it um, and kind of showing leading the way for how things should be done that you were supposed to look after nature and did that kind of obviously it must have rubbed up on you in some way then oh it did yeah I'd fight with my toenails so <laughs> um, yeah um, it definitely um, influenced how I approached the whole environmental thing and how I approach my activism and I described you there as an environmental educator in the, inter- in the introduction how would you describe an environmental educator what does that entail I suppose 
I suppose what I try and do is I try and meet people where they are and so they might come to me knowing nothing about their environment, nothing about nature and when they leave I want them to know a little bit, a little bit and just something that they can take with them and carry with them to improve things a little bit. Um, so for instance I lead wildflower identification walks and so the people that come into us sometimes we have repeat people who come in and when they start off they might not even know what a dandelion looks like and then at the end they know how to eat it, they know how to benefit it and they're out there giving out to people from for mowing them early in the spring because they're important for bees. And food waste enthusiasts, I suppose, that's what we're kind of concentrating on here. What is a food waste enthusiast? It, again, someone who's absolutely no good at parties, but the person going around afterwards who's okay. making sure that all the food is getting used and not getting wasted and maybe bringing it home and passing it out to the other family members. There's lots of lads in my family and there's none of them going hungry. There's always someone to eat them. Yeah. And, and when we talk about zero waste, I suppose, is again another phrase that's been used a lot in the last decade or so. What does that mean? I think that's really complicated because I think there's like an official... And definition of what zero waste is and it's like eight or nine lines long but basically what it is is you try and produce no waste and that's virtually impossible yeah. because zero is impossible but you're trying your best to get there that's the goal and if you fall short you're at least doing a little bit better than 90 percent yes so and obviously you know in this try for perfection we never really do get there do we but where are we at at the moment when it comes to achieving zero waste do you feel I think it's a lot better. Um, definitely, I became involved in zero waste around like 2015, and at that time, nobody knew what it was. It was this really unheard of thing. Um, and I was living abroad at the time, but I came home, and I remember traveling to Dublin to meet other like-minded people, and there was eight of us in a kitchen talking about it because like, I nearly had a nervous breakdown my first shop back here because there was nothing. There was literally only scallions that wasn't wrapped in plastic. Um, and I was just like, and you couldn't recycle plastic at that time, soft plastic. And I was like, this is impossible. How do you even do it? Um, and you felt really out of touch with reality because when you'd say it to people, they'd be like, oh, why do you even care? Whereas now, if you say, oh, I, I'm interested in zero waste, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. And I think that that's brilliant that they've even heard of it. And they might say, oh, yeah, I recycle or, oh, yeah, I do, you know, I buy my clothes second hand or um, I try and buy my you know, vegetables loose or things yeah. like that. So they're at least aware of it and trying to make a conscious effort for it. And when we talk about zero waste, what are the best ways to achieve this? You obviously mentioned plastic there. Are there ways in which you've seen over the last number of years that kind of have changed unconsciously to a lot of us? Um, I think definitely around, say, food waste and particularly around, like, fast fashion, I think it's a lot more acceptable now to buy clothes secondhand. There's a lot of things like swap shops. Um, there's a lot more outlets for you to do that without being, like... Because, like, I grew up always wearing secondhand mm. and, like, it'd be a little bit... You'd be afraid you'd be shaming the family that, oh, you can't afford to go out and get clothes or why are you shopping in a charity shop? Like, um, But that's not the case at all. And, like, it's a really funny story. My mad probably murder me. But I remember it was, again, right after I'd moved home and I was doing this buy nothing for a year, like buy no new clothes. Um, and I obviously told all my family about it. And my mom works in Togish and she had a summer student and the summer student was going back, um, I think it was to France. And they like showed up with a bag of clothes because um, like, they have very bad English. But they were like, oh, yes, your mother says you are in a cult and you are not allowed to have clothes. So here are some clothes. And I was like... We've gone a little off topic. Like, I could survive. I, I have lots of clothes. I can survive without them for a year. Um, but in this bag, there was, like, 
jeans, things that hadn't even been worn once. Um, so like, I think I still have some of them. <laughs> Not too bad. And obviously we're talking about clothes there, but when we go back to food, would you know of how much food is disposed of annually worldwide maybe, or even in this country? And how concerning is that when we talk about the, the climate crisis? When we talk about um, carbon dioxide and, and greenhouse gases, when you look at just food waste, if food waste was all, all their numbers were cl- pooled together and it was put on a scale, it's third of most polluting country in the world. Um, and, when you th- and food waste goes from a lot of different ways. It's the farmers who have food waste in the fields because people want pretty vegetables. So it's not going to go for sale. It's the stuff that gets lost along the way. It's the stuff that realistically we buy with the best of intentions and don't yeah. don't eat. Um, the stuff that's been languishing, you know, the lentils that are in the back of the cupboard for the last 20 years or the salad that's in the bottom of the salad thing because we're on a diet, but now it's February, so it's grand. Like, you know, it's it, it kind of, it weighs up. And in Carlo, or in Ireland anyway I know it was now pre-COVID it might have gone up since because a lot of things have gone up since but we were filling three um, Croke Parks a year with domestic food waste like that, just just in terms of volume that's a huge amount and then it causes problems because it goes to landfill and when it goes to landfill it's uh, producing methane and methane is a worse greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide mm-hmm. so just tackling your food waste can have a, such a huge difference at all different levels and then the other thing is is like there's cost of living crisis and like there's none of us can be affording to like be wasting food really um, I think this uh, stop food waste campaign they were saying you could save around 700 euro a year some people um, and that again was pre-covid pre this current cost of living crisis so it could be gone up again and that's like the guts of a nice holiday like yeah. that was molly aylesbury chatting to robbie there and you can uh, hear the full interview by checking out our podcast on the casey law website unfortunately that's all we have time for on the program this week but that and a lot more to come next week from 6 to 7pm as we continue our journey with local people who are making changes to their daily lives in the effort to help the climate. A big thank you to all of our guests this evening. Thanks to you for listening. That's it from Robbie and myself. Stay tuned for Fully Loaded with Owen Carey coming up after the 7 o'clock news. Follow the leaders meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. A KCLR production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.